Okay, good evening, brothers and sisters in the faith. Welcome to another episode of the Bible History Project. We're so happy to be here and to be with you. Before we go ahead and begin, we ask everyone to please stand for our opening prayer. Almighty and loving Father in heaven, thank you, thank you so much for giving us our life and giving us our strength. We praise your highest name and we worship you today. We ask that you please forgive completely our sins. And as we study your holy book, reveal to us your will and give us the courage that we can become the person that you want us to be, worthy of your salvation. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. We ask everything in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. All right, praises be to God. We're gathered once again to study His words and His commandments. In our episode today, we're going to discuss, well, Jacob, this time about his struggles and wins. After we finished our Bible history project lesson last week, we know that Jacob is to be used by God as an instrument to fulfill his covenant that he made with Abraham. However, Jacob has some maturing to do. And God is working on him. And this is what we're going to see, how God uses the struggles in Jacob's life to make him complete, perfect, lacking nothing. So let's begin with Genesis chapter 30, 25 to 26. After the birth of Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, let me go so that I can return home. Give me my wives and children that I have earned by working for you and I will leave. You know how well I have served you. So here's Jacob. What requests does he make from Laban? He says, let us go. We've worked hard for you for 14 years. It's time for us to go back home. Why do you think Jacob wants to go back home? Because at this time, they were living in Haran. And Haran was not the promised land of God. God said he will give this land, which was Canaan, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Jacob knows he has to go back home, to go back to Canaan, and so receive the promise of our Almighty God. So he makes a request to Laban, but what does Laban say? Genesis 30, 27 to 28, Laban said to him, let me say this. I have, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will pay them. Of course, Laban does not want him to leave. Why not? Because he believes through divination. After all, Laban was a pagan. He did not know the true God of Abraham. He had his own God. So through divination, he had his own way of discovering that, hey, this guy, Jacob, is a great blessing to me. And so he doesn't want him to leave. And so what does he offer him? He says, name your wages and I will pay them. He wants, to, he wants uh, Jacob to stay and continue to work for him. And so what was the reply of Jacob? Genesis 30, 29 to 30. Jacob answered, you know how I have worked for you and how your flocks have prospered under my care. The little you had before I came had grown enormously and the Lord has blessed you wherever I went. Now it is time for me to look out for my own interests. And so when Laban offers Jacob a job, probably a promotion, what does Jacob say? Well, I have my own interests too. 
But he notices something, something that he reveals right here. He said to Laban, the little that you had before I came had grown enormously. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I went. And so uh, Jacob noticed that God blessed Laban because God made him pretty wealthy. Back then, your wealth was determined by your livestock. And so when they all started out, Laban did not have that much. But after 14 years, Jacob working together with Laban, all of a sudden, he prospers. And so perhaps Jacob was saying to himself, I don't really have anything. He went to uh, Haran with nothing but a stick, right? And now he's about to leave. All he has is a stick, his two wives, the servants, that's two more, right? Plus all 11 kids. So he probably was thinking, I probably need more things. And so what do you think he was processing in his mind? If God bless Laban, of course, God is especially going to bless me. Maybe I should stay a while and build my wealth first before going back to Canaan. So what does he offer Laban? Let's go to Genesis 30, 31 to 33. What wages do you want? Laban, Laban asked again. Jacob replied, don't give me anything. Just do this one thing and I'll continue to tend and watch over your flocks. Let me inspect your flocks today and remove all the sheep and goats that are speckled or spotted along with all the black sheep. Give, give these to me as my wages. In the future, when you check on the animals you have given me as my wages, you'll see that I have been honest. If you find in my flock and goats without speckles or spots or any sheep that are not black, you will know that I have stolen them from you. And so what was the suggestion of Jacob? Well, he wanted to have his own business, right? Rather than working for Laban for nothing. So he wanted a share of what he had so that he can invest also with his own livestock. And so what did he suggest to Laban? He said, give me the sheep and the goats in your flock that, are, that represent the minority, the, sm the, the small in their, smaller in number, the minority. Who are they? The black sheep, right? Speckled and spotted uh, goats and sheep. Give me those and you can keep the rest and I will tend your flock as well. And the reason why uh, Jacob was willing to take on this opportunity is because he places his trust in God. This is why we can see, next slide, Jacob's transformation, right? We can see now that he is trusting God. And so he believes even if he has a small flock, what can God do with that small flock? He can make it big. This is the trust that Jacob is learning to develop with his almighty God. And so what does Laban say about the offer? Let's go to Genesis 30, 34, 36. All right. He was probably excited. That's a good deal. Laban replied, it will be as you say. But Laban is very sneaky. Guess what he does? But that very day, Laban went out. What does he do? He removed the male goats that were streaked and spotted, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted or had white patches and all the black sheep. 
he placed them in the care of his own sons, who took them a three days journey from where Jacob was. Meanwhile, Jacob stayed in care for the rest of Laban's flock, the sneaky guy. Laban, what did he do? He took the, the sheep, the goats that Jake was supposed to be for Jacob. He separated them, gave it to his sons, and they hid them. On a three, uh, so far away, it takes three days to get to that place. Pretty sneaky, right? And so if Jacob had anything left, it was probably very, very few, maybe one or two, right? Laban is pretty cunning. Kind of like, I think Jacob is still reaping what he has sown, right? If he cheated his way to the birth, uh, birthright, he's being cheated now of this livelihood. However, Jacob is changing. He is trusting God more. And so what does he do? He has a plan. Genesis 30, 37 to 40. Then Jacob took some fresh branches from poplar, almond, and plane trees and peeled off strips of bark, making white streaks on them. Do you know what he's doing here? Right? Yeah. Then he placed these peeled branches in the watering froze where the flocks came to drink for that was where they made it. And when they made it in front of the white streaked branches, they gave birth to young that were streaked, speckled, and spotted. Jacob separated those lambs from Laban's flock. And at mating time, he turned the flock to face Laban's animals that were streaked black. This is how he built his own flock instead of increasing Laban's. And so Jacob had a strategy. I don't know if this came from God. I think so. I believe God was the one who told me this is what you need to do. Because I don't think there's a scientific connection between the branches and the mating, right? This is probably God's work, God's doing. You listen to God's instruction. This is what you need to do. And I will bless you by increasing your flock. And so that's indeed what happened. The flock increased. Not only that, what also happens? Genesis 30, 41 to 43. Whenever the stronger females were ready to mate, Jacob would place the peeled branches in the watering throws in front of them. Then they would mate in front of the branches. But he didn't do this with the weaker ones. So the weaker lambs <laughs> belonged to Laban. And the stronger ones were Jacob's. As a result, Jacob became very wealthy with large flocks of sheep and goats, male and female servants, and many camels and donkeys. So Jacob was a wise man who relied and trusted in God. God blessed him and his flock became prosperous. However, when you are prospering, sometimes there are people who are not happy with your prosperity, right? Who do you think is not happy with that? Genesis 31, 1 to 2. But Jacob soon learned that Laban's sons were grumbling about him. Jacob has robbed our father of everything. They said, he has gained all his wealth at our father's expense. And Jacob began to notice a change in Laban's attitude toward him. Who became jealous? Laban, Laban's sons. And so what did they do? They grumbled. How about Laban? His attitude changed about concerning Jacob. So we can sense here there's conflict and jealousy, right? When there's conflict and jealousy, sometimes that is a marker for us to be to go to God and ask for his 
will, right? What is God's will? So that's what Jacob does. What does God reveal to him? Genesis 31, 3. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your father and grandfather and to your relatives there, and I will be with you. This is God's promise. God is telling him, now is the time to go. You have enough wealth. Now you can go back to Canaan and I will bless you some more because I will be with you. This is why sometimes, brothers and sisters, when there's conflict and jealousy, I think the best thing to do is for us to kind of part ways, right? <laughs> this is what uh, uh, Jacob decided to do. He said, I will be, he said to God, Lord, this is what's happening. God says, you have to leave right now. But before he leaves, he has to, of course, convince who? I probably will not try to convince Laban, but who are you taking with you? Yeah. Who do you want to be on your side? The two wives, right? And the servants. So what does he do next? Genesis 31, 4 down to 9. So Jacob called Rachel and Leah out to the field where he was watching his flock. He said to them, I have noticed that your father's attitude towards me has changed, but the God of my father has been with me. You know how hard I have worked for your father, but he has cheated me, changing my wages ten times. But God has not allowed him to do me any harm. For if he said, the speckled animals will be your wages, the whole flock began to produce speckled young. And when he changed his mind and said, the striped animals will be your wages, then the whole flock produced striped young. In this way, God has taken your father's animals and given them to me. And so, you know, in this passage, we can see growth and maturity when it comes to Laban, uh, Jacob and his relationship with other people. Well, you notice that? What do you notice uh, concerning Jacob's growth and maturity here? You notice how he summoned both Rachel and Leah? Before this, there was a lot of favoritism, right? This time he speaks to both of them and tells them everything that is happening. He was not the patriarch who says, just follow what I do, submit to my authority. No, he involved them in the decision-making too, right? He respected them enough to let them know what was happening. And so he was telling Rachel and Leah what he has observed concerning their father's attitude. And so next slide. So Jacob's transformation number two, acknowledged and respected both Leah and Rachel enough that he communicated with them with honesty about what he wants to do. What else do you notice about the growth of uh, Jacob in that passage? Next slide. You notice when he said, he cheated me, changing my wages 10 times. It's true. He was being cheated because Laban is known for being clever and cunning, right? But he did not retaliate, right? This is why he, he grew also. Next slide. Number three, he does not return evil for evil, even when he was being cheated. What else do you notice? Next slide. Go back to that passage, right? God has not allowed him to do me any harm. God has taken your father's animals and given them to me. So each and every time he was, uh, the, the, uh, Laban tried to cheat him, 
God would intervene and God would do something miraculous. In this way, God has taken your father's animals and given them to me. And you notice that uh, Jacob recognized the work of God's hand when he was blessed. Next slide. That's number four. Gave glory to God when he was being blessed. He did not take the glory for himself. He gave it to God. He recognized the work of God's hand in his life. How also was, uh, how was Jacob guided by God? Genesis 31, 10 to 13. One time, during the meeting season, I had a dream and saw that the male goats meeting with the females were streaked, speckled, and spotted. Then in my dream, the angel of God said to me, Jacob, and I replied, yes, here I am. The angel said, look up, and you will see that only the streaked, speckled, and spotted males are mating with the females of your flock. For I have seen how Laban has treated you. I am the God who appeared to you at Bethel, the place where you anointed the pillar of stone and made your vow to me. Now get ready and leave this country and return to the land of your birth. You notice how Jacob is so dependent now on God's guidance? I mean, before he didn't even seek the guidance of God. Now he's always seeking the guidance of God, right? And so even when it comes to what he needs to do with his flock so he can be prospered by God, he was dependent on our almighty God. And we should do the same thing. You know why? Because God watches. What's the proof he watches? You notice what the Bible says? The Bible says that God has seen how Laban has treated you. This is why when people mistreat us, when people speak badly about us, we have sometimes this tendency, I want to get back, I want to get even, right? I want to speak back. But you know, God notices that. God notices everything, even if they don't use the real names, even if they have a pseudonym. God knows all things. This is why instead of taking matters into our own hands, Let's follow now the example of Jacob before he wasn't like that. Before he took matters in his own hands. Now he's relying and trusting upon God to do what is right and just. Isn't that nice? We should follow the example of Jacob. Next slide. So number five, he learned to depend on the guidance of our almighty God. So while he was speaking to Rachel and Leah, what did they have to say? Genesis 31, 14 and 16, Rachel and Leah responded, that's fine with us. You notice this time they're being united. Before Leah and Rachel, they were in conflict with one another. But because of the maturity of Jacob, this time he's reuniting them, right? We won't inherit any of our father's wealth anyway. He has reduced our rights to those of foreign women. And after he sold us, he wasted the money you paid him for us. All the wealth God has given you from our father legally belongs to us and our children. So go ahead and do whatever God has told you. What did God tell him? Leave. Go where? Canaan. Back to the promised land. And so do they obey the command of God? Genesis 31, 17 to 18. So Jacob put his wives and children on camels. This time he has livestock. Right? 
And he drove all his livestock in front of him. He packed all the belongings he had acquired in Padan Aram and set out for the land of Canaan, where his father Isaac lived. So he goes back now to where he's supposed to be in Canaan. And so he obeys the voice of our almighty God. Next slide, please. So this is part of Jacob's transformation. Before, he did not heed the voice of God. Now he was obedient to the voice of our almighty God. But how were they able to leave and obey the voice of God? Next slide, Genesis 31, 19 to 21. At the time that they left, Laban was some distance away. She was far away. Shearing his sheep. So he was busy. Rachel, oh no, what did Rachel do? Rachel stole her father's household idols and took them with her. Jacob outwitted Laban, the Aramean, for they set out secretly and never told Laban that they were leaving. So Jacob took all his possessions with him and crossed the Euphrates River, heading for the hill country of Gilead. So before the scan could come <laughs> and surround uh, Jacob, because they were planning a, an unannounced getaway, right? Before scan surrounds their tents and have their getaway, what did they do? They outsmarted Laban, and when he was busy shearing the sheep some distance away, what did they do? They left. They loaded up their, their U-Hauls, and they left to go to the promised land. Unfortunately, here's Rachel doing something that God doesn't approve of. What does he do? What does she do? She steals her father's household idols apparently rachel is not yet convinced or perhaps is not fully loyal to the god of abraham and isaac so i want to get the household idols there was still some remnant of faith that went on or that went to the idols and so he took some of, the, took some of those idols she took some of those idols or i guess all of those idols with her next slide lesson that we need to learn you know when god gives us an open door take it take it don't hesitate take it when there's something you know god wants us to do but for some reason it's difficult to do because of various reasons when god gives us an open door take it because that open door might not come again, okay? Next slide, Genesis 31, 22 to 23. Three days later, after they were traveling, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. That's bad news. So he gathered a group of his relatives and set out in hot pursuit. <laughs> like that, hot pursuit. He caught up with Jacob seven days later in the hill country of Gilead. They were going really fast. That's why it's called hot pursuit. They were going really fast. Right, And so Laban, after discovering that Jacob had fled, said God his relatives, probably the, uh, the tough guys, right? They probably had evil intentions against Jacob and his family, against Jacob and his, uh, maybe his own grandkids and his own daughters. Probably just, just Jacob, probably wanted to kill Jacob, right? But as 
they were pursuing uh, Jacob, how does God protect them? Genesis 31, 24. But the previous night, God had appeared to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream and told him, I'm warning you, leave Jacob alone. Isn't that nice? God is protecting Jacob. God appears in a dream and tells Laban, who had evil intentions against Jacob, and says to him, leave Jacob alone. And so when Laban catches up with Jacob, what happens next? Genesis 31, 25 to 29, Laban caught up with Jacob as he was camped in the hill country of Gilead, and he set up his camp not far from Jacob's. What do you mean? Now he confronts Jacob and says, what do you mean by stealing away like this, by leaving unannounced? Laban demanded, how dare you drag my daughters away like prisoners of war? Why did you slip away secretly? Why did you steal away? Why didn't you say to say you wanted to leave? I would have given you a farewell feast with singing and music, accompanied by tambourines and harps. Why didn't you let me kiss? my daughters and grandchildren, and tell them goodbye. You have acted very foolishly. I could destroy you. That's what he, his intentions were. I could destroy you, but the God of your father appeared to me last night and warned me, leave Jacob alone. And so at least uh, Laban's anger was appeased a little bit. He was able to vent out, right? And he was saying, why did you do this? Why did you leave like that? I couldn't even say goodbye to my own daughters and my grandchildren. But you know what? You know what the real reason was? Why Laban chased him in hot pursuit? You know why? Any idea? Care to guess? Uh, <laughs> nope. Genesis 31.30. I can understand your feeling that you must go. And your intense longing for your father's home. But Why? Have you stolen my gods? <laughs> you know, out of all that tirade, what he really wanted were the idols, right? The gods, his household gods. Why did you steal that from me? You know, this, you know what this tells me? You know, with Rachel stealing the idols in the first place and with Laban so eager to get them back, you know what this tells me? And correct me if I'm wrong. Next slide. People can be so attached to their idols, even if the idols are human spiritual leaders, right? Even if they see evidence to the contrary, they will always come up with a thinking process that will attach your success to these idols, right? That's idolatry. Even if it's from another source, even if your blessing came from God, they will process their minds, in a biased way, so that the conclusion they make is, it is because of the idols, not because of anything else. That's why people are attached to their idolatry, their idols. And this is true even today, right? Especially when these idols are human spiritual leaders. Is that true? Yeah. This is why they're being forced, people are being forced to do things that are against their will. Why? Because of their idolatry. They're attached to their human spiritual leaders. And so when Jacob is confronted and is being blamed for stealing the idols, Jacob was probably confused. And what does he say? 
Genesis 31, 31, 32. I rushed away because I was afraid, Jacob answered. I thought you would take your daughters from me by force. But as for your gods, see if you can find them and let the person who has taken them die. Oh no, why did he say that? And if you find anything else that belongs to you, identify before all these relatives of ours and I will give it back. But Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the household idols. Oh no. You see the drama building here? That's next episode. Okay? We got to find out. What's going to happen now? And so what does uh, Laban do? Jacob's challenge, look, for, look, look if I have your idols or if anything else I've stolen from you. Okay? So what does Laban do? Genesis 31, 33. Laban went first into Jacob's tent because he was highly suspicious. Couldn't find it. To search there. Then into Leah's. And then the tents of the two servant wives. But he found nothing. Finally, he went into Rachel's tent. And so he searches. He does have a search warrant, I guess. He searches uh, Jacob's tent. Found nothing. Leah's. Found nothing. The two servants. Found nothing. Do you know why they found nothing? Because they don't have it. Who has it? Rachel has it. And now he's going to go to whose tent? Rachel. Oh, boy. Oh, are you nervous? What's going to happen now? Let's go to the next slide. Genesis 31, 34, 35. But Rachel had taken the household idols and hidden them in her camel saddle. Good job. And now she was sitting on them. Good job. When Laban had thoroughly searched her tent without finding them, she said to her father, please, sir, forgive me. If I don't get up for you, I'm having my monthly period. <laughs> so Laban continued his search, but he could not find the household idols. <laughs> what does Rachel do? Places them on a camel saddle, sits on them, and so that she would not be told to stand up. What does she say? I can't stand up because I'm having my monthly period. <laughs> wow, right? And so they have the... They get to keep their idols. I'm thinking, this is just my speculation. Perhaps the reason why Rachel was buried along the side of the road instead of being buried with uh, Jacob in the tomb of Machpelah is because of this, maybe. Right? Not far-fetched. It could be. Maybe, you know, what God wanted to associate Jacob more with? Leah. Could be. I don't know. That's just what I'm thinking, okay? So anyway, so what happens when they keep searching and searching because Laban really wants those idols, but they could not find anything. Finally, what does Jacob do? Um, before we go there, uh, by the way, next slide. Seven, we can see here that uh, Jacob became a man of integrity. Before he lied, he lied to his father, he lied to Esau, right? He lied his way through. Now, he was a man of integrity. He was speaking the truth. Nothing he was hiding. He was completely a man of honesty at this point. So he's growing and transforming. And so when Laban insists that they have the idols, what does he do? Genesis 31, 36, 39, and Jacob became very angry and he challenged Laban. What's my crime? He demanded. What have I done wrong to make you chase after me as though I were a criminal? You have rummaged through everything I own. Now show me what you found that belongs to you. 
set it out here in front of us before our relatives for all to see. Let them judge between us. And notice what he says. For 20 years, that's a long time. For 20 years, I have been with you, caring for your flocks. In all that time, your sheep and goats were never miscarried. In all those years, I never used a single ram of yours for food. If any were attacked and killed by wild animals, I never showed you the carcass and asked you to reduce the count of your flock. No, I took the loss for myself. You made me pay for every stolen animal, whether it was taken in broad daylight or in the dark of night. What do you notice about Jacob here? He has integrity, right? Not only that, he was a faithful servant. He served for 20 years. Faithfully. Wish we could all be like that. We should follow the example of Jacob here. Faithfully, he served for 20 years taking care of Laban's flux. Next slide. So that's number eight. He became a faithful servant. What else? Uh, Genesis 31, 40 to 42. I worked for you through the scorching heat of the day and through the cold and sleepless nights. Yes, for 20 years, I slaved in your house. I worked for 14 years, earning your two daughters, and then six more years for your flock. And you changed my wages 10 times. In fact, if the God of my father had not been on my side, the God of Abraham and the fearsome God of Isaac, you would have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen your abuse and my hard work. That is why he appeared to you last night and rebuked you. Isn't that nice? Not only did the... Jacob learned to become a faithful servant. Bible says he worked scorching heats and endured the cold and sleepless nights. He worked as a slave in his house. Next slide. In other words, he learned patient endurance. Do you see how Jacob is being transformed? How he's becoming more and more a man of God through the struggles that he had to go through? What else? Next slide. Genesis 31, 43 to 44. Then Laban replied to Jacob, these women are my daughters. These children are my grandchildren. And these flocks are my flocks. In fact, everything you see is mine. But what can I do now about my daughters and their children? So come, let's make a covenant, you and I, and it will be a witness to our commitment. And so while he was listening to Jacob's speech, he was moved. And he recognized and realized, wait a minute, he's got a point. Jacob has a God, a real God who protects him, right? And so he said, I better not mess with Jacob. And so what does he suggest? Let's make a covenant. Let's make a commitment. What does Jacob say about that? Genesis 31, 48 to 50, then, Lake, then Laban declared, this pile of stones will stand as a witness to remind us of the covenant we made today. This explains why it was called Galid, witness pile. But it was also called Mizpah, which means watchtower. For Laban said, may the Lord keep watch between us to make sure that we keep this covenant when we are out of each other's sight. If you mistreat my daughters, or if you marry other wives, God will see it even if no one else does. He is a witness to this covenant between us. And so what covenant do they come up with? First, they pile up a bunch of stones to serve as a witness. That's why it's called Galid, witness pile. It's also called Mispah, which means watch, tower. What's its purpose? To remind the both of them 
that even if they don't see each other, who's watching from above? Our Almighty God. And so they have to keep the terms of the covenant. What are the terms of the covenant? Well, Laban says, if you, Jacob, mistreat my daughters, or if you marry other wives, then God will know, right? What else are the terms of the covenant? Genesis 31, 51 and 53, see this pile of stones, Laban continued, and see this monument I have set between us. They stand between us as witnesses of our vows. I will never pass this pile of stones to harm you, and you must never pass these stones or this monument to harm me. I call on the God of our ancestors, the God of your grandfather, Abraham, and the God of my grandfather, Nahor, to serve as a judge between us. So Jacob took an oath before the fearsome God of his father, Isaac, to respect the boundary line. What else were the terms of the covenant? They set up a, a pile of stones which shows as a boundary. They were not to cross that boundary, right? To keep the peace between the both of them. And what else were the terms of the, of the covenant or the, and the boundary? I will never pass this pile of stones to harm you, and you must never pass these stones or this monument to harm me. And then they make an oath of their own gods. They reference their own gods, the God of Abraham, the God of Nahor. You notice that uh, Jacob did not say to Laban, I don't believe in your God. Let's not include that in the covenant. Right? No. Jacob respected the religion of Laban, even though it was the wrong religion. Even if it was the wrong God that they were serving. You see, religion should not be fighting against each other. So that's why, look at what Jacob's, uh, Laban says. I will never, we should never harm each other, right? We may have differences in opinion, different beliefs, but we should not fight against each other. You serve your God, we'll serve our God. And let's keep the peace. Is that right? Yes. This is why next slide, you know, I mean, if you notice, what do Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all have in common? What do you all have in common? <laughs> next slide. They all made peace treaties with people who intended harm against them, right? Abraham and Isaac, who? Abimelech. Now who? Laban. They wanted to harm them, but they made peace treaties with them to restore the relationship. And so what happens after that? Next slide, Genesis 31, 54. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice to God there on the mountain and invited everyone to a covenant feast. After they had eaten, they spent the night on the mountain. They had a good time, right? Was peace restored? Yes. Is that good? Yes. We should follow that example, right? Is there an organization that we don't entirely believe in? We don't have to believe it. We can agree to what? Disagree, right? Mutually co-exist. You don't have to fight against each other. We don't believe in the Iglesia Ni Cristo, but we don't have to fight against the Iglesia Ni Cristo, right? We do our own thing. They do what they want. We don't have to try to convert them. If they refuse, fine, we'll move on. We'll do our part. If they refuse, let God be gone. That matter. That's the way we should approach things when we have people who don't agree with us. Keep the peace. Next slide. So what we learn here from Jacob is he's become a man of 
peace. You see how he's being transformed? And so what happens after they had that meal? Genesis 31, 55, Laban got up early the next morning and he kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then he left and returned home. Is that a good ending? Yes, I like that ending, right? And so here comes uh, uh, Jacob. Now he's free to go. He has peace of mind. There's safety. There's peace and happiness. But what happens next? Genesis 32, 1 to 2. As Jacob started on his way again, angels of God came to meet him. When Jacob saw them, he explained, he exclaimed, this is God's camp. So he named the place Mahanaim. Who were these angels? I don't know. What did the angel say? I don't know. It doesn't mention anything. It just mentions that they were there, right? But on his way to Canaan, guess who he's going to meet? Esau. Esau. So he's thinking about that, about that now. I'm going to go back to my homeland where Esau, who wants to kill me, I'm going to have to face. And so what does he plan to do? Genesis 32. Three down to five. Then Jacob sent messengers ahead to his brother Esau, who was living in the region of Seir in the land of Edom. He told them, give this message to my master. Like that? My master Esau. Humble greetings from your servant, Jacob. Until now, I have been living with Uncle Laban. You notice the, the stress on we're all family here, right? And now I own cattle, donkeys, flocks of sheep and goats and many servants, both men and women. I have sent these messengers to inform my Lord of my coming, hoping that you will be friendly to me. Because in anticipation of a face-to-face -face encounter with someone who wants to kill him, what does he do in advance? He sends an advance party, a messenger. He sends messengers to tell him about Jacob and what's been going on with his life. Kind of touch bases, right? Because they had no Facebook back then. So I'd have to rely on camel and messengers. And so when this message was received by Esau, what does Esau do? Genesis 32, 6, after delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, we met your brother Esau. And he is already on his way to meet you. With an army. 400 men. Oh, boy. <laughs> if you were Jacob, how would you feel right now? Probably scared, right? <laughs> Probably scared. But you have to, sometimes you have to keep in mind, God has a promise. He will protect you, right? What did he say to Jacob? He said, go back to Canaan and I will be your God. Meaning God will protect him. Nevertheless, when you are face-to-face -face with a tribulation, when you're face-to-face -face with danger, sometimes you forget. And so what does he feel? Next slide. Genesis 32, 7, 8. Jacob was, he was human, right? Jacob was terrified at the news. He divided his household along with flocks and herds and camels into two groups. He thought if Esau meets one group and attacks it, perhaps the other group can escape. So he was already thinking the worst because that's what happens when you're terrified. When you're overcome by fear, you focus on the negativity, right? You become pessimistic. So he was thinking the worst because of his fear. And so what does he decide to do? Which is the best thing he's ever done. Next slide. Genesis 32, 9 down to 12. Then Jacob prayed. Brothers and sisters, next time you feel afraid, next time you're worried, next time you're distressed, what should you do? 
And this is one of the be- most beautiful prayers in the Bible. For me, anyways. Is it okay if I read it? Yes. But don't pray this at, uh, at home. <laughs> okay, don't copy the prayer and make it for yourself. <laughs> right? This is what he said. Oh, God of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac. Oh, Lord, you, you told me return to your own land and to your relatives. And you promised me I will treat you kindly. I am not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown to me, your servant. When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I owned nothing except a walking stick. Right? Now my household fills two large camps. Oh, Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I'm afraid that he is coming to attack me along with my wives and children. But you promised me I will surely treat you kindly and I will multiply your descendants until they become so numerous as the sands along the seashore, too many to count. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? Right? In that prayer, he thanks God for what he has done for him. He went to Haran with just a walking stick, comes back with four wives, 11 kids, and livestock. God prospered him, right? He's being honest in his prayer. Lord God, I'm afraid. We can be honest too when we pray to God, right? He said to God, I'm afraid because my brother Esau wants to kill me. But what does he do? Don't you notice he reminded God about his promise? Right? And you promised me, he said. But you promised me, he said. So he was relying on the promise of God, that God will be with him and God will protect him. So he prayed. And this is why one of the things that we see with Jacob's transformation, next slide, He's learned to rely on prayer. There's a difference between one who prays and one who relies on prayer, right? There are people who pray, but they don't rely on prayer, right? Because they don't really believe the prayer will amount to anything. They don't really depend on it. Jacob was different. He really and sincerely was dependent and he relied upon prayer. However, after praying, what does he do? Genesis 32, 13 and 16. Jacob stayed where he was for the night. Then he selected these gifts from his possessions to present to his brother Esau. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 20 ewes, 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. That's a lot of wealth, right? He divided these animals into herds and assigned each to different servants. Then he told his servants, go ahead of me with the animals, but keep some distance between the herds. So he divided into three different parts. The gifts that he was going to give to who? To Esau. You notice what uh, Jacob did? First, he prayed to God. But he also did his part. Did you get that? Because sometimes when we pray to God, we think God is going to do all the work. Yes, we need to pray to God, but we also need to do our part. Always keep this in mind. Prayer should never be misconstrued as an excuse for laziness. Do you get that? This is why a principle that we should all follow is, next slide, we should pray to God as though everything depended on Him. But we should work as though everything depended on us. Did you get that, those of you who are studying for finals? High school, college, you want to get good grades, you can pray to God, Lord, give me an A+. Plus. But if you don't do your part, will he give you an A+. Plus? Well, he'll give you an F-, minus, right? 
You have to work together with God. God has to work together with you. And so we need to cooperate with God. We pray to God as though everything depended on Him. And we work as though everything depended on us. But when we work, we have to work wisely. And so what did Jacob do? Next slide. Genesis 32, 17 to 18. He gave these instructions to the men leading the first group. When my brother Esau meets you, he will ask, whose servants are you? Where are you going? Who owns these animals? You must reply, they belong to your servant Jacob. Okay? But they are a gift for his master Esau. Two, two key words. Servant, gifts. <laughs> Look, he is coming right behind us. Isn't that nice? That's a good strategy. He was wise for doing that. He didn't say he comes Esau, he comes Jacob, your master, <laughs> which is true, right? Here comes Jacob. He has a lot of flock with him. No, he says, your servant, and he has gifts, right? And that's just the first group. And so what does he do? To the, what does he instruct the second two groups? Uh, 19 down to 21, Genesis 32, 19, 21. Jacob gave the same instructions to the second and third herdsmen and to all who followed behind the herd. So you must say the same thing to Esau when you meet him. And be sure to say, look, your servant, Jacob, is right behind us. Jacob thought, this was his processing behind that, I will try to appease him by sending gifts ahead of me. When I see him in person, perhaps he will be friendly to me. So the gifts were sent on ahead while Jacob himself spent that night in the camp. So what do we notice about Jacob? He prayed. He also worked. But how did he work? Next slide. One of his transformations was he became a man of wisdom. This is a product of struggles in life. You get to learn wisdom, okay? And so what happened that night? Uh, Genesis 32, 22, 23. During the night, Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons. That's his family, right? What does he do? And crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. So he was securing his family. Perhaps he had a conversation with them. Okay, so what we can see here, next slide, he loved and protected his family. And so when they were there and he was left behind, what happened? Genesis 32, 24. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. While he was alone in the camp, guess who stops by? <laughs> this is very strange. A man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. <laughs> it's actually strange, right? Here you are, you're by yourself, you're in your tent, right? All of a sudden, a man, an unidentified man, just starts wrestling with you. <laughs> what would you do? You'd wrestle back, right? You'd fight back. So Jacob wrestles with him, and they wrestle for a long, long time. Until when? Until dawn was about to break. <laughs> That's a long time. How many here have wrestled before? Anyone here wrestled before? I think one minute of wrestling is the equivalent of running a mile. It's tough to wrestle because every ounce of your muscle, you are exerting with 100% effort. And that's just so taxing to the human body. This is why if you're not fit, you can't wrestle. Even if you've been playing basketball all your life and you, take, you go to the ring, the octagon, right? And start wrestling, you're going to poop out. It's hard to wrestle. They wrestle until they break. And so when he was free, while they were wrestling, 
what does Jacob eventually begin to notice? 32, 25, 26. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So eventually, Jacob learns this man is not an ordinary man. Right? It is someone who can bless him. This is a messenger from who? From God. He's not an ordinary man. And so what did he do? He held on. <laughs> he held on. He's not going to let go. He wants to win. Why? Because he wants a blessing. That's why they've been wrestling for a long time. Dawn is about to break. And then he says, I will not let go unless you bless me. But you notice what the angel did? What did he do? He touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its side. Do you know what that's called? It's called cheating. The angel cheated. <laughs> Why? Because he wants to teach uh, Jacob a lesson here. Who cheated his way to get his uh, birthright? Jacob. This is still part of reaping what you sow. So he cheats the angel. He touches Jacob's hip and wrenches it out of its socket. That's painful. But he's still holding on. Right? And so what does... Uh, he also asked, uh, Genesis 32, and the verse is 27. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Why does this man remind Jacob of his name? Because of what Jacob means. Where Jacob means supplanter. One who deceives his way to getting what he wants. That's what Jacob means. Supplanter, right? So he reminds him of his name, of his identity. This is who you are. You are a supplanter. You are a deceiver. That's why he dislocates that part of his body to kind of remind him of who he is. Who are you again? He says, I'm Jacob. But this time, what does the angel do? 38, 28, uh, 32, 28. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. You have struggled with God and with men and you have won. So your name will be Israel. Yasharel in Hebrew. Yasharel. Yashara. Okay, so you have struggled with God and with men and you have won. Is it true that Jacob struggled with men? Yeah. He's been struggling with human beings all his life. With Esau, right? With, with his parents. With Laban. With Laban's kids. He's been struggling with human beings all of his life. And now, wrestling with the angel, he's also struggling with who? God. But this time he won. He wins. He wins. This is why his name is Change. And Jacob's experience with the angel depicts, it represents our experience with life. Why? Next slide. Because all of us are going to go ha have our own struggles. Jacob's struggles is our struggles, right? Is it true that we have struggles with people? Yes. Yeah, we are envious sometimes. We have conflicts. Sometimes they hate us. Sometimes we hate them. 
there are fights, arguments, there's wars, fight uh, taking place all over the world. There's always human conflict, even in your own family, right? Husband, wife, children, siblings. This is reality. This, this whole episode of Jacob wrestling with the angel, it's there to show us it's also our real struggle in life. We have to struggle with people whether we like it or not. What else? It also depicts our struggles with who? With God. Do we also struggle with God? Yeah. Sometimes when you are sick, you pray to God and you don't get better. Right? You struggle with doubts. You struggle with disappointment. Tragedy. What happened to the INC? Right? And so we're struggling spiritually with God. We're wrestling with Him. And so Jacob's wrestling match depicts our reality. We struggle with people sometimes. We also struggle with God. If we're going to be honest, if you're going to be honest, there are times when you say, does God really exist? Is God still with me? Is God, will, will he answer my prayer? Am I right? Yes. It's going to happen. We're going to encounter that. And so, when we struggle with people and we struggle with our relationship with God, what do we need to do? Which is what the whole point is. Next slide. We must win. Right? This is why he changed his name. Because he struggled with people, he struggled with God, and he won. We too. We too. We have to win. But how do you win? What was Jacob's secret? First of all, he endured. Right? He held on until daybreak. Can you imagine that? He wrestled. He put effort in. What else? Next slide. Genesis 32, 29. Jacob said, now tell me your name. But he answered, why do you want to know my name? Then he blessed Jacob. So when we are going through struggles, what we need to do is gain more information. We need to know more about God, know more about Christ, know more about the Holy Bible. This is why it's so vital that we study the Bible in its entirety because there's so many things that we need to be informed about so that our fight can be for our own favor so that we will not give up and continue until daybreak, until we win. The Bible supplies us with information to inspire us and to give us hope so that we can complete what we started, so that we can win in our struggles right that's what jacob did but it cost him next slide genesis 32 30 32 jacob named the place peniel which means face of god for he said i have seen god face to face yet my life has been spared the sun was rising as jacob left peniel and he was limping because of the injury to his hip even today the people of israel don't eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. <laughs> Strange, right? What did it cost Jacob to win? It cost him his hip. I mean, he couldn't get a hip replacement, not back then. So he had to limp for the rest of his life. It would remind him of that night. And that night right there, brethren, that was a night when his life would forever be changed. It was a night of transformation. You believe that? He would never be the same again after he wrestled with that angel. 
Can you imagine holding on? Holding on, even if it means having to sacrifice, having to lose your health, willing to give up anything, was willing to probably even die because he knew what he was up to. His socket was already dislocated and he was still holding on. Why? He wanted to win. We have to have that determination. We have to hold on. He, we have to hold on to that promise of our Almighty God. Sometimes, brethren, you know, God wants to transform our life the way God transformed Jacob that night. Sometimes, next slide, God will use tragedy. Sometimes God will use sickness and disappointments in our life to deeply transform our life. This is why if you're going through something difficult right now, don't give it up. What should you do? Keep holding on, right? Keep holding on to the promise of our almighty God. That's why he wrestled with that man. And who was this angel that he was wrestling with? Genesis 32, 30. You notice he said, I have seen God face to face. Was he wrestling with God? Was it an angel? What is it? We got to find out. Let's go ahead and look at the interpretation of Hosea. Hosea 12, 3 down to 6. Their ancestor Jacob struggled with his twin brother Esau while the two of them were still in their mother's womb. When Jacob grew up, he fought against who? God. But he actually fought against, what does it say? An angel, a messenger, and one. He wept and asked for a blessing. Bethel God came to our ancestor Jacob and spoke with him. And so it was an angel of God, not God himself. Nevertheless, the effect is, it is as though it was God himself to depict God's closeness with Jacob. Jacob's struggle with the angel represented Jacob's struggle with God, which brought intimacy between Jacob and God. When you struggle with someone, you develop a bond, a connection. This is why God allows us to sometimes go through difficulties in life because he wants us to connect with him, to experience what Jacob experienced and to choose to hold on. Nonetheless, this is why he was able to win. And because of that, what happened? Genesis, let's go back to 32, 28. The man said, your name will no longer be what? Jacob. You have struggled with God and God with man and you have won, so your name will be? Israel. Do you know why the change of names take place? Do you still remember when the last time this happened? Abraham, right? From Abram to Abraham. From Sarai to? And now from Jacob to Israel. Why? Well, what do those two names mean anyways? Let's begin with Jacob and Israel. In, in Hebrew, it's Yaakob, which means supplanter. And the angel says, from now on, it'll be, it shall be Yisharar, which means overcoming with Alahim. What's Allahim? The highest one. Who's that? Our almighty God. So before, he was known as supplanter. Using his own self-resources, using his own ways to get things done. Right? But then God says, no, now you're going to be Yisharal. What does that mean? This time you're going to get things done because you are aligning. And you're going to be in union with and joining who? God. Isn't that nice? That's why his name changed. God is telling him, now don't rely on your own strength. Work with me, God is telling him. 
we must work together. Overcoming with, not overcoming against, but overcoming with Alahim. That is God, right? And so how can we, next slide, how can we also win in our struggles with men and God? Next slide. Hosea 20, uh, 12, 36, we read uh, Hosea. Their ancestor Jacob struggled with his twin brother Esau. Verse 4, he fought against an angel and won. He wept and asked for a blessing. And at Bethel, God came to our ancestor Jacob and spoke with him. This was the Lord God Almighty. The Lord is the name by which he is to be worshipped. So now descendants of Jacob, trust in your God and return to him. Be loyal and just and wait patiently for your God to that's how we win our struggles with men and struggles with God. What do you do? You hold on to the promise of God. Be loyal. What else? Be just. And what else? You wait patiently for your God to act. That's how you struggle with God and win. Be loyal to him. Wait patiently for him to act just like Jacob. We too can be like Jacob. This is why, next slide, the final quality of Jacob's transformation, he held on to the promises of God, right? Even if it meant having to be physically handicapped. That's how much he wanted it. You have to want it so much, you'd be willing to sacrifice to hold on to the promises of our Almighty God. Very different, right? Next slide. When uh, Joseph was starting out, what was his profile? He had pride, right? Righteousness was not priority, he was cunning, he lied. But he was determined, give you that. But now, what does Jacob look like? Next slide. All of this. Do you see the transformation? How he changed from Jacob to Israel. Because he went through difficulties in his life. And God used that to mold him, to change him, to make him complete. But he can be used by God as an instrument. But there's something else I want you to see. Next slide. I want to go back to Genesis 32, 28. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. You have struggled with God and with men and you have won. So your name will be Israel. I believe there's a deeper meaning to that wrestling match. Do you see it? What do you think I'm seeing? What are you seeing? I'll give you five minutes. <laughs> what do we always see when we look deep enough? What do we always see? Huh? What do we always see in the Old Testament? Because remember, the purpose of the Bible History Project is to direct you to Christ. Always direct you to Christ. I want you to keep in mind. Do you see Christ there? Yeah? Do you see it now? The Bible says, you have struggled with God and with men, and you have, what does it say? You have won. You have struggled with, struggled with God and with men, and you have won. Do you know who struggled with men? Isaiah 53.3. We despise him and rejected him. He endured suffering and pain. No one would even look at him. We ignored him as if he were nothing. Who struggled with men? Christ. This was a prophecy about Christ. Did he also struggle with God? Matthew 26, 36, 39. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. 
and said to the disciples, sit here while I, while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Who struggled with God? Christ. What did God want him to do? Crucified for the sins of people, right? What did Christ want? He didn't really want that. <laughs> Right? What did he say? What did he ask God? If it's possible, may this cup of suffering pass from me. Was he struggling? Yeah. The Bible says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. So bad. Even to the point of death. But did he win his struggle with God? Yeah. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. See, that's how you win you know how much struggle Christ went through? Next slide. Luke twenty two forty four. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Can you imagine the excruciating, the pain that he was feeling, anticipating what he was going to go through? His sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he was on the cross, what did he cry out? Mark 15, 34. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did Christ struggle with God? Yeah. Did he win? Yeah. Why? Because he said, not my will, but thy will be done. This is why... In many ways, Lord Jesus Christ was being portrayed in that wrestling match between Jacob and the angel, right? But there's one big difference, one big difference between Christ's struggles and Jacob's struggles. Do you know what it is? Let's find out. We're almost done. Genesis 32, 30, 32. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God. Face to face, yet my life has been spared. Jacob, in his struggle with God, his life was spared. How about Christ? Let's read John 19.30. After Jesus had taken the vinegar, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and died. Was Christ spared? No. Christ completed. Christ completed what Jacob was portraying. Because somebody had to die. Christ said, let me be that one. And he died on the cross. God did not spare his son. Christ willingly wanted to do the will of God because he loved us. And he shed his blood. For us, he died on the cross for us. And because God did not spare his son, what does that mean for us today? Romans 8.32, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Did you get that? 
what this means is we're guaranteed our salvation. We will be saved. Not only that, Christ is also telling us, the Bible, Apostle Paul is also telling us, if God gave up his son, won't he also give us everything else? When Christ was on the cross, what did he say? It is finished. Does it mean there's nothing for us to do? No. What was finished? Christ's work. But our work continues. When Christ died on the cross, he said, it is finished. The work of redemption has been done. We now have to do our part. Christ's part was the difficult part. In comparison, ours is easier. Not saying easy, but easier. But we have to do it nonetheless. And so what does God want us to know when we're struggling in our life? Right there. Brethren, fix your eyes upon that passage now. Process it now. What does it say? Apostle Paul says, if he did not spare even his own son, don't you think he will give us everything else? You're going through struggles in life now? You're wrestling with God now? Hold on. And keep asking the Lord God, hold on. And win. Because the Bible says he will give us everything else. Which is why before we pray, I want to remind you of that beautiful prayer of Jacob. Next slide. Remember this? Then Jacob prayed. Twice, what did he say to, uh, to the Lord God? You promised me, right? You see, we have no right to pray to God if we have no promise. This is why Jacob could pray that kind of prayer because God gave him a promise, right? Wait a minute, do we also have a promise? Do we? Let's, re- uh, let's listen to the final passage of our studies. 2 Corinthians 1, 19-20. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. (laughs) But in him, in Christ, it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Do we have a promise? Yes. So long as you're in Christ, every promise has been made. Every single one is a yes. This is why you can pray to God and say to God, Lord God, you promised me. I don't know what you're facing, what tragedy you have endured, what loss you are enduring, what sickness you may have, what you're waiting, what your disappointments in life may be. Doesn't matter. Brethren, go to God and pray to God. Tell him, since I belong to you, me, in your son, Christ Jesus. You have all these promises. Rely on God and let him give you the victory. We cannot win on our own, but with the help of God, we too can win in our struggles with people, in our struggles with God. Okay? That is our lesson for tonight. Let us all stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father, thank you so much for your blessings. For giving us insight concerning your will. Long ago, you have provided for our life today. You were always thinking of us, even before you created the world. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your protection. We will forever praise your holy name. Father, it cannot be denied. You are with your people, permitting us to grow in our knowledge. As we study your holy book every day, 
When we do this, O God, we need your guidance. We are but human beings. Our minds are prone to error, but that we don't want to make that mistake. This is why even before we study, we pray to you. As we continue to study, we meditate upon your teachings. We want to learn from you. Teach us, O God, especially when there are problems in our minds, when we are confused and perplexed sometimes by life's difficulties. We will ask you for help. We will ask you for guidance. Teach us, O God. Show us your will and lead us to the path that leads to you. When we are called upon to struggle with you, we will hold on to you. We will not let go, O God, even if it means sacrificing much. Because when we are able to hold on to your promises, we know we develop a closeness to you, a deep bond with you that will forever change our life. Our Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for sacrificing for us. We focus our eyes upon you. Our hearts belong to you. You are our chief shepherd. We are but your sheep. And so we look to you time and time again. When you see us wounded and lacking, when you see us hungry and thirsty, attend to your servants, please. Strengthen us, O oh Lord and help us to endure until the end. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. You have blessed your people all over the world with the promises that you have made. We hold on to them and affix ourselves upon them because you will enable us to win the victory. We ask all things, O oh Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.